Let's turn to Matthew 15 this morning. Matthew 15, we're continuing on in the uh, study that we have been doing. I may not continue in Matthew next week. I'm not sure. I, I may do. Um, I've got something else kind of on my mind that I may do, I may not. I'm not really sure yet. So uh, just uh, thinking about that, praying for that. But um, for this morning, Matthew 15, and we're going to be beginning in verse 10, uh, looking at this passage. And um, I have uh, kind of switched this morning. I'm reading from the New American Standard this morning. So, uh, so uh, but it'll still be ESV on the board. Um, we'll get back to the ESV, the one that Paul actually wrote next week. So, um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 10, it says, after Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, hear and understand. It's not what enters into the mouth that defies the man, defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, that defiles the man. And the disciples coming to him and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? But he answered and said, every plant that which my heavenly father did not plant shall be uprooted. Leave them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. So Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And Jesus said, are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands, that does not defile the man. Let me tell you a, a story. It's a well-known story about a, about a young man who was training and to become an attorney. Uh, he was kind of pursuing his father's dream, really. And in any way, as he was walking in an open field one night, he got caught in a, in a massive lightning storm. Massive lightning storm, and, and it scared him so bad. He's in an open field, and it scared him so bad that he got down on the ground, and he said, Lord, if you will save me from this lightning storm, then I will become a monk. And of course, the Lord did save him from that lightning storm, and true to his word, he became a monk. And this was a man that, from everything we know about him, he, he, he kind of wore his feelings on his shoulders. He was a very expressive, very emotionally driven kind of guy. And, and all of the other monks and even his, uh, even his uh, I don't know what you call those guys, the, the father over the convent, whatever it was. I don't think it's even a convent for dudes. But anyway, so, um, but, uh, you know, he just annoyed all of them. He, uh, you know, because he was constantly confessed. He would spend hours in the confessional booth. I imagine the priest saw him coming and was like, no, 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 your turn. Not it, not it, not it. <laughs> and so um, he would spend hours on his knees. And this is back during the Middle Ages where, 
you know, they would do things trying to purge the sin from their bodies. He would beat himself with whips and he would, he would uh, sleep out in the snow nude and, and just trying to purge the sin out of him. And yet no matter what he did, he could not allay his guilty conscience. He knew that no matter how much he tried to separate, no matter how much he tried to get away from the world, that sin was always with him. And his conscience could not allow him to be at peace. And you know, the thing is, I don't, you know, we don't beat ourselves with whips anymore. We don't, we don't sleep out in the snow like that anymore, unless you're in the military, I don't know. But uh, I heard they used to do those kinds of things in boot camp but to toughen you up. But we, we don't do those kinds of things anymore or anything like that. But we do still tend to think that the problem that we have, our problem with sin, comes from outside of us, don't we? We still tend to think that. Maybe you remember the old Flip Wilson joke, the devil made me do it. Well, in your life, maybe the devil is someone else. Maybe the devil is your circumstances. Maybe the devil is that crowd or that school, or that political party, or that political party, or, or maybe it's um, you know, your, your friends, or maybe it's your husband. I expected an amen for that. Uh, maybe, maybe that for you, the devil is your wife, or your children, or your parents, or, but whatever it is, we all still tend to think that the devil makes us do it. We all still tend to think that the problem is outside of us, and if we can just change our circumstances, then I will not struggle with this habit, or this sin, or this anger, or this lust, or this whatever it is. I won't have to deal with that anymore. Guys, this goes all the way back to the garden. You remember? When God says, what have you done? Adam blamed Eve. They didn't have kids yet, so Eve blamed the pet. And so it goes all the way back. It is our natural heresy. It is our natural heresy. And when a church loses focus on the gospel, one of the very first things you're gonna notice, one of the, one of the tangible signs is that they begin to focus on externals. They begin to focus on things like how we dress, what music we sing, or this or that, or carpet, or, or whatever. When we lose focus on the gospel, we tend to start focusing, uh, focusing on those externals around us. Because when you lose the gospel, all you're left with is liturgy, Traditionalism, cleanliness, or something else. That's all you got. This is hypocritical religion. It is religion that seeks to show something outside that is not necessarily true inside. It is religion that replaces externals or, or replaces genuine, internal, deep, loving faith with external show. And we all have a little bit of that in us, don't we? Every one of us. We all struggle with that. 
And so this morning, as we look at Christ, he is continuing this conversation with the Pharisees. Remember, they came up to him and all of these awesome things are going on. People are getting healed. The incredible power that Jesus is showing. I mean, they're just touching the hem of his garment and they're being healed and all of these things are happening. And the Pharisees walk up and they say, well, yeah, but did you notice your disciples did not wash their hands right? And you just look at it and you're like, what? Are you seeing what's happening? Why are you even looking at their hands? And yet, that's what happens when we focus on externals. That's what happens when that external hypocritical religion comes. And that's why Jesus says in verse seven, he says, you hypocrites. And notice he applies the prophecy of Isaiah to them. He says, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And this is really the first time Jesus is going to mention the hearts of man. And that's why it's so confusing for the disciples. They, they need to understand what is he talking about. And Jesus says, you know, this is, uh, this is too important. Back during that culture, when teachers began to talk, the crowd, uh, as a matter of honor, they would kind of back up a little bit and kind of give them room. And, and Jesus says, no, 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 this is too important for a private conversation. And he calls the crowd back to himself. And he makes this what is a revolutionary pronouncement. You need to understand how revolutionary this was in the life of Israel when he cries out to them and says that it is not what enters your mouth that defies, defiles the man, but what proceeds out of his mouth, that defiles you. It was too important to keep as a private conversation. And beloved, it is too important for us to miss this morning because we are so tempted toward externalism. We are so tempted. All of us have these hypocritical tendencies. And we all tend to, our natural heresy is that when we, when we perceive sin within us, we want to clean up on the outside to try to hide it or make it better. All of us have those tendencies. And so this morning, if we're gonna avoid hypocritical religion, we must seek the inward cleansing. We must seek the inward cleansing that only Christ can give. Why is that? Well, a, few, a few corrections that Jesus is gonna give in our text. Number one, he says that we need to avoid hypocritical religion. We need to guard ourselves against hypocrisy. Why? Because it misconstrues our problem. It misconstrues our problem. Look again at verse 10. He says, verse 10, he says, uh, he calls the crowd to him and he says, hear this and understand. And, and, and this is unusual for Jesus to say. He, he'll say, listen to me, or he'll say, amen, amen, truly, truly, or verily, verily, or, or most assuredly. In other words, this is something you need to hear. But here he says, you need to hear this, and not only hear this, you need to understand this. And those two terms, that hearing and understanding, we've seen this before, because if you go back just a couple of pages to the parable of the sower, you remember that who was the good soil? 
The good soil was the one who hears the word and he understands it. In other words, in the theology of Matthew, hearing the word and then understanding it is a way in which he conveys that this is saving hearing. This is a redeeming response. This is a, a, a converting understanding that when you hear the word, but not only hear the word, you understand it, it produces a harvest of salvation and fruit within you. And so when Jesus is telling this crowd, listen, you need to hear and understand, he's telling you this is a life or death comment that you need to know. This is gonna make the difference between whether you know Christ or whether you are pursuing self-made hypocritical religion. It's gonna make that difference. It's a saving response, a matter of life and death. And what is it in verse 11? This, he says, it is not what enters the mouth that defiles you. In fact, Mark is even gonna broaden it out even further. And he says, there is nothing outside of you that defiles you. There's nothing, nada, zip, zilch. This is, this is revolutionary in the eyes of the Jews, but I think sometimes it's somewhat challenging for us too because in America, we tend to compare ourselves to machines and computers, right? Garbage in, garbage out, right? No, Jesus says, garbage in, therefore we seek the garbage out. In other words, it is our hearts. We would not, we would not want those things if our hearts were not already defiled. We're gonna say more about that in a moment. But this term defiled, it's, it's a temple term. In fact, it's really only used here in a, in a, in a few other times. And, and, it's, and it refers back to that Levitical law. You need to understand that in the Old Testament, in the, in the priest and with the temple and with the tabernacle and all that, you had two categories of holy and common and then you also had clean and unclean. And if you were, those who were holy were set apart for the service of the Lord, they were devoted to God's service. And those things that were common were things that were just kind of everyday things that you use. And then also you had the categories of clean and unclean. And what that meant was, is that if you were clean, you are able to approach the presence of the Lord. But if you are unclean, then that means you have to go through different practices practices and rituals and all that in order to be clean. And so by the time of Christ, they had made this a little harsher to where to be unclean meant you were undefiled, you were defiled, that you were completely uh, filthy, that you were completely unable. The idea is that, look, it's, it's what is it that makes you unable to come into the presence of the Lord? What is it that makes you unqualified to come into the Lord's house? What is it that makes you um, unable to come into his presence? And Jesus says, look, there is nothing outside of you that keeps you away from God. There is nothing outside of you 
that keeps you away from approaching God. However, there is something inside of you that does. You realize there is nothing out in the world that can keep you away from Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know what Paul says? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. If God is for us, who can come against us? Church, do you realize that there is nothing out there that keeps us from God? I don't care who the president is. I don't care who that professor is. I don't care who that teacher is. I don't care who, maybe in your case, it's your parents or I don't, I don't care whoever it is. There is nothing outside of you that keeps you, that forbids you from coming to God. But there is something inside of you that can do it. And that's what you need to focus on. That's where That's where the problem is. In fact, look at Isaiah chapter 59 for a moment. Isaiah 59, very popular passage. In fact, this is a good passage to use when you're leading someone to Christ. But in Isaiah 59, he says, Behold, the hand of Yahweh is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. You see, this is what sets God apart from every other false religion out there. It's because all those other religions, what they seek to do is they seek to, I want to cleanse myself from all the filth that gets on me from the outside. That's what all those religions are about. Every single one of them. It's about getting rid of the infidels. It's about removing yourself from the filth of the world. And yet Christ is telling us that the temptation that we face actually comes from within. It's not the outside world. I mean, it does need to be cleansed, yes. But in terms of your salvation, it's not the outside world that needs to be saved. It is your heart that needs to be redeemed. It is your soul that needs to be saved. It is you and you alone. Beloved, nothing or no one can make you sin. Nothing and no one makes you sin. You say, but it feels so powerful. What happens? Well, James is kind to explain that to us. In James chapter one, verse 14 and 15, and look what he says. He says, really beginning in in verse 13, he says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. In other words, Don't blame God's providence. Don't blame the circumstances you're in. Don't blame the people God brings in your life. Don't bring all of this other stuff. You remember, that's what Adam did. Uh, God, sorry, but that wife you gave me, right? How many guys have ever said that before? One of you was honest, okay. So, (laughs) 
<laughs> Adam says, God, that wife you gave me, right? No, James says, don't let anyone say when you're tempted that I'm being tempted by God. But what happens? In verse 14, each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And he goes on in verse 15, and then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Where does temptation come from? Well, there is an external component of temptation. Yes, there is. But what does it do? It lures us. It convinces our minds that what we want is not really that bad. This is the self-justification that we start to go through. Well, it's really not that bad. It's really not, you know, just this one time, all of those things. And then it entices us to where our desire begins to convince us that we can't live without it. We can't live without it. The term I want becomes I need. And I have to have this in order for my happiness. I, I have to have this in order for my uh, well-being. I have to have this. No, you don't understand. This is something that I just can't live without. Brother Aaron has a new Bible. I need that Bible. <laughs> Pray for me. And so, um, <laughs> and then what happens there is that, is that it entices us. And then after it convinces us that this is something we need, then it gives birth. Our will gives us permission to do it. Once that sin is accomplished, then that brings forth death. The point is, listen, beloved, I want, please understand this. If that desire wasn't already in your heart, then that would not be a temptation at all. Do you see that? If you didn't want the sin, then the sin could not tempt you. I have a, I have a friend, Brother uh, Logan got to meet him at, uh, at the Biblical Counseling Com Conference. His name is Nick Ellen. He's a pastor down in Houston, and uh, he grew up in the, in the ghetto of, can't remember if it was Houston or LA, but he grew up in the projects, and very rough growing up. Dad was never in his life, and uh, anyway, one day when he was in seminary, he gets a call from his dad. He says, uh, Nicholas, this is your father. I'm like, okay. And um, he started up a relationship with him again. His dad said, you know, son, I, I, I'm a professional con man. And I've conned a lot of people who are mad at me. And I had to stay away from you. I had to stay away from your mom because there's a lot of people who want to get to me. He says, but I want to, I want to teach you something. They were at a dinner with uh, some of their friends. And uh, he says, uh, son, I want to teach you something. And of course, you know, Nick is kind of like, okay, a con man's going to teach a bunch of seminary students something. Okay, I got to hear this, <laughs> you know. <laughs> He's never forgotten it. And neither have I. And neither should you. He said, son, there are two people in the world that I can con, the needy and the greedy. The needy and the greedy. See, if you are greedy, I can sell you a story that will bank on that greediness and I can convince you to give me everything you've got. 
And if you're needy, then I can share you a story that will, that, will, that will zero in on that neediness and I can get you, I can talk you in, I can convince you that the way to get it is to give me everything you've got. But one person I can never con is a content person because I've got nothing that he wants. I've got nothing to convince him. I've got nothing to bank on. And isn't that how Satan works? That if you are needy, if you are greedy, if you are, if you are convinced that you need this, that you have to have this, can't Satan come in and twist that around and cause you to even the most grievous sins in your life? Can't he do that? Isn't that how he works? And so the needy and the greedy, don't ever forget that. Because that's how Satan can get to you. That's how he can tempt you. And he's banking on your neediness and your greediness. Oh, beloved, don't get in the habit of blaming the outside world. Don't get in the habit of trying to deflect blame. It comes from the heart. It comes from inside. I spent a lot more time on that than I intended to. In fact, let me just ask you this morning, is, is that where you are? Is that where you are? Is there something in your life that you are so convinced that if this were different, then I could be not as sinful? Or if there's something that if, if my circumstances changed, then I could be more like Christ. Or, or if I had a better relationship, or if I had a better upbringing, or if I had a better this or a better that. If it was my political party in office, if it was my political party that doesn't leave office, then our lives would be so much better. Don't fool yourself into be convinced of that. You know, you can escape the world and you can resist the devil, but one thing you cannot hide from is your own heart. It goes with you everywhere you go. And that's precisely where Christ says you must be saved. You must be saved. So beloved, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, if you're here this morning and you don't have that saving faith, that Christ says that when he saves you, he gives you a new heart. You are a new creation and you don't have to fall into those old patterns anymore. You don't have to fall into those old sins anymore. In fact, look what he goes on down to say in, in verses 18 through 20, he says, but these things that proceed out of the mouth, they come from the heart and those defile the man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts and murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. This list is not comprehensive. These are the things that defile the man. Why? Because they come from within. They come from within. I've never been much of a tea drinker. But, uh, but Wesley is. 
And uh, we like to go up to the restaurant on the hill, a spa grill. And um, anyway, and he's a hot tea drinker, you know. Uh, so, so anyway, he asked for some hot tea and they said, fine. And they, uh, yeah, that's awesome, you know. And they, they put their sweet tea in the microwave and warmed it up. <laughs> it was really something, let me tell you. <laughs> and so... Uh, Tasted horrible, didn't it? Yeah. You know, here's the thing. When you put a tea bag in boiling water, it's not the water that gives the tea its taste. But all the, tea, all the water does is activate what's already in the tea bag. You see, all the things around us, all that boiling water that's around us, beloved, it doesn't cause us to sin. All it does is activate what is already inside of us. And so this morning I ask, what are your circumstances telling you about your heart? What are your circumstances telling you? Because that is God's gracious invitation to you to seek forgiveness and repentance. He's not mad at you. You remember Job? He didn't allow all that to happen to try to take him down. He allowed all that to happen to prove that Job was who God said he is. And beloved, this morning, if you know Christ, you are justified. You are declared righteous. And the things that come in our lives are there to show how great our God is and that we are his. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, I would implore you to come. Christ is God's only son, both God and man. He came on, lived, completely followed God's righteousness, never sinned once in his life, and then he died on the cross for your sins. And then God raised him on the third day to show that his work was finished. If there was anything left for you to do, Jesus would still be in the grave. God raised him from the grave because the work was finished. And now all that is left is for you to accept Christ in faith. Faith alone by grace alone. Have you done that? Because it's not the outside world that you need to worry about. It's my heart that I need to worry about. Father, we pray that you will take these words and use them. Didn't really follow the script this morning, but Lord, that's okay. I pray that you would use them to your glory. They are weak and feeble, but Father, you are great and greatly to be praised. And I ask, Lord, that you will once again bring us into a closer walk with you. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, if there's here this morning and if you're here this morning and you want to be counseled in some way or do you want further prayer or whatever it is, I invite you to come this morning. Let's stand and let's sing together.